Okay, we're back. It is week nine, episode nine of the Hockey Cards Gong Show podcast. Welcome to all the hockey card collectors out there. Even if you're not a collector and just interested in hockey cards and getting in the hobby, welcome to. If you accidentally clicked on the wrong podcast, hey, we'll take it. How's it going, Troy? Yep, we need all the listeners we can get. Okay, Troy. So do you remember a few weeks ago when we were had a little bit of concern being somewhat new podcasters that once the hockey season ended, would there be anything for us to talk about? I do remember that. And I remember thinking, well, it's going to be summer. There probably won't be, you know, there'll be some stuff to talk about, but not a lot. And boy, was I wrong. Holy cow. We could have made this a four-hour show if we would have wanted to. It has been a heck of a week in the NHL. For us, it's great. Just means there's lots of exciting things to talk about. The, a lot of exciting things, not just in the hobby, but of course, the NHL impacting what's going to happen with hockey cards as well. I guess from there, should we roll into our game plan? Definitely. So on today's show, we will start with the NHL draft and look at some of the exciting happenings that occurred on draft day. We will then look at NHL news and holy crap, is there some crazy news out of the NHL and especially news that affects our favorite team and favorite player. Next, we will look at the free free agency season, free agent players, and what does this mean for values of certain players regarding free agency. We are then joined by Chris McGill from Card Ladder and talk to Chris about the overall sports card market, along with focusing on the hockey card market and how it is performing. This was a really fantastic discussion, and we gained a lot of great insight from Chris, and we hope you do too. So please stick around and listen to that interview. It has a lot of really good information. Finally, we'll end the show with the trifecta of hobby news, new product releases, and our personal pickups and or sales. So it's another great show lined up, and let's get started with the NHL Draft. So Josh, question for you, did you watch the NHL Draft? I did, most of it. So my key takeaways was it was soap opera TV, and ESPN had to be loving it. Absolutely. Yeah, you had all the intrigue, you had the fans, like you, I think, had put in our show prep booing Batman to the draft order not going exactly as people had planned. And all in all, again, I think in the theme that we've been talking about and how to create more interest and promote the game, it kind of turned out perfectly. Maybe not for Shane Wright, but for the game, it was. I think it was a good night. I absolutely enjoyed Batman getting booed. I thought it was fantastic. The Montreal fans were savage when he came out. He had to expect it, but man, they did not let up on him. And you could see kind of the shock in his face as he kind of looked around, but he, he had to know it was coming. And by, you know, five minutes in the draft, he was kind of egging the crowd on. So that was really enjoyable to watch. And the Montreal fans definitely brought the heat to that. Okay, so I have a question for you. Who do you think is more hated, sure. Roger Goodell from the NFL or Batman in the NHL? Probably Batman, because the problem Batman has is he's not a hockey guy at all. He came from the NBA. I think a lot of hockey fans and hockey people just don't like him. They think he doesn't care about the game, or he think he doesn't maybe not care about the game, but he doesn't know about the game. He is a businessman, and that is his first job is to make the owners money. So I kind of think that Batman's a little more hated by the hockey community than uh, Goodell by the football sure. community. 
when I'm even getting a little bit out of my purview of knowledge here, so I'm walking on thin ice acknowledging that here, but has he really done that great of a job making the owners money? Well, he at least got the TV deal done this year or the national TV deal. Here's my thing. He's must have done a good enough job that they haven't fired him because he's been around sure. forever. And I feel if they if there was a group that could that didn't like what he was doing, they would have got rid of him by now. So he must be doing something right to stick around this long. Yeah, I was just thinking of how looking at the tenure of Roger Goodell or the NBA, I know they switched from David Stern to Adam Silver in the last few years, but how in the time that Bettman's been the commissioner of the NHL, how much the NFL and NBA have grown, where it seems like hockey has not at all been on that type of trajectory. Yeah, it's only recently, really, where I think hockey is starting to get that momentum to grow. And with Batman getting older, you know, I don't know if that means new change of leadership is going to come in, but obviously he must, have been, he must be doing something right in the eyes of the owners. All right, enough on the commish. Want to run us through the draft, Troy? Sure. So we had big surprise, the number one pick, the Canadians. I thought Shane Wright was going to be the pick. A lot of consensus was it was going to be Shane Wright, but actually it was Slovakian Yuri Slavkovsky. I hope I got his name right. I have been dreading saying it for a long time, but I had to look up the pronunciation. But big Slovakian kid, and he went number one. And when you look at some of the more prominent pundits, they were kind of seeing the tide turn that he might be the number one pick. Yeah, I think you were hearing that a little bit into the week leading up to the draft. To me, what's most interesting about Slavkowski going number one is, okay, so the first thing I'll say is any guy that's drafted, if they come out of the gates and start the season on fire, the hobby is going to respond and their values are going to go up. But I think because Slavkowski was drafted by Montreal, there's going to be a lot of excitement heading up to the season, and we'll see some pretty strong pricing right out of the gate. Had he been taken by Arizona, would people even care? Or would he have the same amount of hype? What good do you point. Think? Yeah, good point. And another thing, too, is we don't know when these guys are going to play. Obviously, a lot of people expect them to play next year. But sometimes these top you know, five to ten draft picks, sometimes they don't play right away in the NHL. We've seen a trend of a lot of them playing in the NHL, but sometimes they don't. So, But he, he seems like he has all the tools to do it. Sure. And so let's go on to the next pick. Number two was another Slovakian. Uh, I'm going to give you the Simon or Simone Nimek. He was taken by number two, and I think the key of this is he had two Slovakians taken in the first two picks, which is kind of huge. It just shows the talent pool is growing. It's not always Canadians and USA players being taken or Swedes, Finns. He had two Slovakians at the top, so I thought that was really, really cool. My takeaway on Nemec was the look on the Devils fans' faces when he was drafted was not was priceless. They were not, at least the crowd was not loving it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that was definitely a good point. Uh, the third pick, Logan Cooley, so our first USA player taken third by the Coyotes. I, I'm in, I am excited for Logan Cooley, and actually, we are excited because he will be a gopher next year. So we get to watch him at the University of Minnesota, hopefully. I'm assuming he might be a one and done player, but we will see. Arizona doesn't do a lot for me, and that's kind of disappointing, but that's where he's ending up. So I guess we'll see how he he does there. So I guess so now part of my ignorance on the one and done concept in hockey, but what I think that means, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is he'll play through the college season 
And there's a chance that he could be called up to the NHL towards the end of the next NHL season. Is that correct? Yeah. And then sometimes players just straight out sign during their college year and leave. The Gophers had that happen with the goalie this year. Now, I don't know. if Oh, yeah. I don't think he was a freshman. I don't know the rules about what age and what year you are in school, but it seems the push now is play one year of college and then maybe go to the NHL. Or if you do play more than one year in college, you might leave during the middle of the season if it makes business sense for you, your family. And most, I think, college coaches, while they don't like it, they understand it. And then I think about, too, from the Arizona perspective, they seem to be just amassing young players. And at some point, I feel like a couple of them will have to work out <laughs> a little bit. You know, I think of the hockey cards <laughs> and there's 400,000 Coyote young guns in the last two years that are all worth about $3, right? And so maybe that's a naive way yeah. to look at that. But it's it, it's be curious for me to follow which one of these guys really breaks through and establishes themselves as someone that can competently lead an NHL team. Definitely. It'll be it'll be exciting to see. As you said, Yotes have a lot of young prospects on their team. Um, let's move on. Number number four pick. Here it is, Shane Wright. So personally, I'm excited because, like I told you, Josh, I believe this is the start of the Shane Wright FU Montreal tour. I think he's gonna have a tremendous chip on his soldier or uh, shoulder. He'll he'll be wanting to be out there to prove Montreal was wrong, and even the other teams that passed on him made a huge mistake. He was one of the guys that quoted as saying that he wanted to be the number one pick, and it didn't happen. It's just how it worked out. And then when he got up on stage, when he was drafted by the Kraken, and you can look into this a million ways, but the way they cut the video, it sure did look like he was staring daggers at that Montreal Canadiens table. Personally, I loved it, and I can't wait for more of it. Yeah, high drama. So for a split second, you got me really excited with a chip on his soldier. I thought for a second he might be able to go get our boy Kaprizov out of Russia. Oh, Kaprizov. Out of the gulags, man. We got to make a rescue mission on him. We'll get to him in a little bit. (laughs) No, I actually think it's a good situation all in all. I'm sure, again, he's not real happy about how it turned out. But you have a new franchise in Seattle. It's a really good sports market. I think hockey ultimately will do very well there. And for them to get a high-profile player... It just feels like everything fit where it ultimately should have. I don't know if you saw this too. Did you see that Gretzky called them? I did see that. Yeah, so there's more fuel to the fire on the chip on the shoulder, where I, I think Gretzky <laughs> relayed that he went undrafted, had to play in the WHL till they merged, and yep. just gave him some words of encouragement that way. So ultimately, whether you're drafted one, two, three, four, or whatever, it all, all the only thing that matters is how you play and perform. And from his or from any of these guys' careers and from the hobby perspective, that's really what it's going to boil down to. I'm excited to watch his career. I I think this just adds to the drama, the intrigue. Next topic, you know, kind of looking at the draft. I kind of mentioned this before, but NHL, ESPN, I believe they had to kind of love what was going on. Your number one pick falling to number four. Twitter kind of blew up. News stories. You're seeing all this stuff about the drama and the Slovakians being picked one, two. I thought it was just great TV. And I thought it was a really well done draft production, even, and it was a great atmosphere. I was really impressed with it. And I'm excited for the future drafts if, if it can keep this up. Yeah, they had the perfect storm. They had draft intrigue and 
I know our next topic, which we'll get into, is they had some really significant trades that not only impacted the draft, but a number of teams that could contend for playoff spots next year. And you had some big names moving. And again, so I think that created a real great situation for drama and intrigue, which is what sells sports. Definitely. So speaking of those trades, we thought we'd cover a couple of them, the draft day trades. So the big one, in my eyes, was Alex DeBrincat being traded to the Ottawa Senators. This was kind of surprising, but not surprising, I guess. I mean, we know Chicago is rebuilding. I didn't think they got that much in return for him. You know, he's a 40-goal scorer, and they got two picks in this, what we were calling a weak draft, and then Ottawa's third-round pick in 2024. To me, maybe not the greatest return, but we also knew Chicago was kind of looking at selling, rebuilding, and to pull and to get draft picks. I think the most interesting thing about this is ultimately what's going to happen with Taves and Patrick Kane, right? Because if you're going to trade away young, emerging talent— why would you keep guys that are great players but near the tail end of their career? So looking at DeBrincat, actually, from a hobby perspective, his 2017 PSA 10 Young Guns was around $187 on July 3rd, and it went to around $204 you know, NHL draft night and the day after, so a 9% increase. And I looked this up using you know, card letter value. There weren't a lot of sales, though, tracked. So I don't know if this can really be called a sustained increase. It was just a couple sales. But it's interesting to see, and it will be interesting to see if this holds up. Personally, I don't think it will. It might just trend right back down to where it was. And full disclosure, I actually own a DeBrincat Young Guns PSA 10, which I got right around that price at 190 I bought it, I don't know, a, a while ago. So it was interesting seeing that little movement. But my thought is it's not going to stay at that nine to ten percent increase and if it does if it does increase it'll be because the season started and he does well well he didn't go to one of the six or eight teams that you would have had people going bananas over his card right if he was traded to toronto i think the price increase would have been a lot more significant than yep. going to and no slight against the senators but they're very much in the same boat as our favorite team the wild right it's very yep. much a regional fan base not the real rabid large fan, you know, teams that have the real like, rabid large fan bases. So ultimately, I think his value is going to come down to A, how he plays, and B, if now the collection of pretty significant young talent that the Ottawa has amassed, if they can put it together and perform well as a team next year too. Yeah, those are def- definitely great points. And the second trade we kind of wanted to look at, again, Montreal was involved. Uh, Montreal trading Alexander Romanoff to the Islanders for the 13th pick and then taking that 13th pick and trading it to Chicago for Kirby Dock. This one was, it was, it's surprising more the fact that Chicago seems like they're giving up on Kirby Dock. I mean, he was 21 years old. He's still super young, but this trade seems pretty telling that they don't think he could offer much going forward, or maybe they think he's going to be too high priced. They're rebuilding. I, it just seemed like me very soon to give up on him. Yeah, uh, not being a major Blackhawks fan, so admittedly not reading all the blogs or news stories. It is just from, I guess, an outside perspective, it's a little puzzling to try to figure out what exactly their strategy is. I don't know. Have you seen anything, Troy, that points to I, what the purpose of all this is? So if I'm going to be 
I don't know what you want to call this. I it could be that they're in already in the running for the Connor Bedard sweepstakes for next year. He's pretty much already the consensus number one. He's number one draft pick. He is one of those. They're calling him a you know one of those generational. He's going to be a really good talent. And I think you, if you're going to look at this with a skeptical eye, maybe Chicago's positioning themselves uh, for that number one pick of next year. Yeah, that's a pretty tough sell to your fan base to say <laughs> that we're just going to give up on the next season in July, essentially. The the other interesting thing about these two trades that I've observed, and, and I'm curious if you've uh, seen similar posts and sales, it seems like there's a lot of Blackhawks collectors that are trying to offload their Debrinkat and Doc <laughs> cards and, you know, really nice ones too, like Hatch Autos and yeah. things like that. So I took that and I think they're doing it just more so out of disgust for the franchise and not being super big fans of the trades. For sure. And if you look at the value that or how the hobby responded to Kirby Doc being traded, uh, his 2019 Young Guns went from a pre-draft day trade value of around $68 to now it's at $185 with a couple couple sales in that range, so 172% increase. So if you are going to unload, even if it's out of spite, it was actually a good time to try to unload unload that card. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, does Romanov going to the Islanders do anything for you? I don't. I just don't know him well enough. I, I didn't. It, when the trade was announced, I, w- I was more focused on the Kirby Doc. Not the Romanoff piece because sure. it just it felt like to me too maybe a nice piece from a hockey perspective, but from a hobby perspective, I don't know if it's real significant. Okay, any any other things, Josh, on the draft, or are you ready to move on to our? I don't know the most. I don't know how to take this next topic, but I, I le- thought I'd let you have a chance. If there's anything else you want to add on the draft, well, my boy Jager went to the Kraken. Oh, there you go. We our boy Jager. Jaeger, Jaeger, I don't care. He's got the best name in hockey. And <laughs> sign me up. I'll pre-buy his future watch auto immediately. <laughs> nice. Love it. All right. Let's focus on NHL player news. And holy cow, Kaprizov. I, we were kind of talking. And one thing I just want to say is oof. <laughs> or a very heavy sigh. So if you didn't hear what was going on with Kaprizov... News broke Wednesday, the 6th of July, that Kaprizov was wanted in Russia for allegedly buying a falsified military ID card in 2017. Very interesting topic. And I think this really got people really, really nervous once, you know, you realize that the Flyers had a goalie prospect, Ivan, I'm going to get his last name wrong, Fedotov, who was arrested and taken to a military naval camp for evading his military service. So I think once the rumors started coming out about this Kaprizov story, it just, and then you read that, it's like, oh no, you know, what, what is going on? Personally, I'm in panic mode and I'm very worried about what's going on. I don't know, Josh, if you're feeling a little bit different than me, but I, I just kind of shake my head. Well, okay. So this is where we have an opportunity to, and I'm sure we'll do this a bunch, but to give the Minnesota sports fan perspective. And honestly, it's the most Minnesota sports thing ever. This is what happens. We have had, you know, after the North Stars left, right, we had a number of years without a team. We get the Wild back. It's been 25 years. We've packed the stadium. We've had okay players, some good players, some 
maybe better than average, you would call it, right? You had Gabrick and Preezy and Suter were fine for a while, and Brent Burns, I guess, till we traded him away. And we used to, Troy and I used to have season tickets for a number of years, and we would come in and go to games, and the Blackhawks would come, and you'd watch Patrick Kane skate around everyone, and then Crosby would come in, and Ovechkin, or even Tereschenko from the Blues, I remember. And we never had a guy that struck fear in the hearts of the opposing team's fans. And we finally got one. We finally have a superstar. And of course this happened. Like I said, it's the most Minnesota sports thing ever. Why wouldn't this happen to us at this point? Yeah, definitely. You know, that story happens, but then you get the second part of the story where he was denied entry into the U S per reports, trying to come through Dubai, coming to come, uh, come through via the Caribbean. So two different spots. He can't get in. I don't know. I know, I guess we're not experts in this, but it's really concerning. We've heard about, there's been articles written about these Russian players. Maybe they shouldn't go back to Russia because there's just too much political stuff going on that maybe they won't be allowed back. I don't know the whole story, but I'm panicked. It doesn't look good. We're at a personal level worried about Kaprizov and his family and make sure everything's okay with him. But it's one of those situations. It's kind of just kind of (laughs) weird. I don't know what's going on. I think that the timing aspect of this is a little bit interesting, too. So on one hand, right, you can say, okay, this happens in July. It's better than this news to break in October. So looking at the optimistic side, there should be plenty of time to hopefully sort this out and get him here soon, right? That's, I think, what everyone hopes. And obviously, like you said, safety and happiness for him and his family. (laughs) But, But the other... Kind of interesting interesting thing about the timing from a hobby perspective is it coincided almost perfectly with the release of SP Authentic, right? So you have the top card in the entire set and yep. the number one chase, which I don't think if, it doesn't look like it's affected people's interest in ripping or, you know, buying personal boxes or participating in breaks. But I have thought, and I've even thought from my own perspective, let's say the one of the out of a hundred future watch auto patches goes up on eBay for five grand. And I had the money to buy that card. Would you think twice at this point, knowing that it's like, is this dude going to be in the gulag four months from now yeah. instead of the X? I say it's definitely something that crosses your mind. Yeah. And I don't think it's affected his pricing so much in the short term, but and, and, and this is where the, the timing lining up with the SPA release probably helps his pricing because he is the number one chase. And as it is the, the future watch auto is in of itself is a great looking card, but for the big picture for me, I'm really nervous about this. And the, the number one reason is I feel like the news has been very quiet. One of the luxuries we have as wild fans and, you know, people may argue this, it's, and this is a very subjective opinion, but I feel like we have, probably the best hockey writer in the country and Michael Russo, who gets all the information, has a very good relationship with the team, is very active on Twitter. And he's been just a lot quieter than I would have thought, which I'm reading and maybe wrong as the, that there's a, there's a very serious situation. Agree. Agree. And, you know, you kind of mentioned the values of Kaprizov and just quickly his young guns, 2020 PSA 10. It's, slowly been trending downward and it's trending right where it's been on its downward trend. So this didn't, this news didn't cause a huge drop or anything. 
So I thought we'd put that out there. Um, finally, the last couple of days, Ottawa traded Matt Murray to the Maple Leafs. Josh, I don't know how how you think about this. Matt Murray's one of those goalies to me. I just I you know I know about him. He's kind of on the peripheral, that middle ground. Um, nothing here really excites me. I know I'm assuming that the angle here is he's going to Toronto. You know, so a huge collecting market. Yeah, it, it, well, and what's interesting, too, when we were looking into this a little bit this morning, so for everyone knows, it's the 12th of July, and it was a little puzzling because their backup goalie was a rookie this year. And, you know, given the moves that they're making to get to Brinkat, it's like, do you really want to put the number one goaltender on Gustafsson? And what it turns out is that this was really a looks like a table setting move where the other, I guess, side of the story here is, and this came out just really two hours ago, maybe at this point or two and a half hours ago, that they made a, a secondary move in trading with our team again, the Wild, for Cam Talbot and exchange Gustafson. So I'm sure now Ottawa will be looking for a number two goalie, but they'll presumably have their number one goalie in Cam Talbot. And there was a little bit of a, it was really an untenable situation in Minnesota. So those of you that don't know is Talbot was our number one goalie last year towards the end of the, it probably was around the trade deadline, Troy, where they traded for Marc-Andre Fleury and really split pretty evenly from there. But then the playoffs, the wild really gave every start to Fleury. And as you can imagine, didn't make Talbot real happy. And there had been some tie, and then the Wild resigned Flurry, and I just don't think Bill Guerin, the GM of the Wild, wanted any drama, and and so he, in the last couple of days, made up his mind to move Talbot, and so you have Murray now going from Ottawa to Montreal or not or to Toronto, and then uh, Talbot to Ottawa. And you know, you say it didn't make Cam Talbot happy. It definitely also didn't make his wife very happy either, because she was a, <laughs> a voc- very vocal on his situation with Minnesota. That's another thing. It seems like Garen just doesn't take BS. So that kind of proceeding yeah. movement. But back to Matt Murray. Back to uh, Murray. Um, little pricing info: his 2015 SP Authentic Future Watch Auto raw sold for thirty two dollars on June first, and after the trade announcement, it looks like it has went up to about seventy dollars, so a hundred nineteen dollar increase. And like we said, you know, it's going to that market and what's one hundred nineteen? The hobby reacted to. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I apologize. One hundred nineteen percent, but yeah, the hobby definitely definitely reacted to the news. Well, and I think this is kind of rounding out this discussion. Let's go back to where we started with Debrinkat. Right, he gets traded to Ottawa, and I think we would, nobody could argue that he's a much more better, more significant player than Murray is. And he has a very modest, right, 19% increase. And then on the flip side, you have Murray going to Toronto. And here you have the Maple Leafs bump, right? And his pricing yep. skyrockets, right? So had Dubrincat gone to Toronto, I think his pricing would have exploded too. So a lot of good good NHL news, a lot of it kind of crazy. And if anyone is going to start a GoFundMe to go rescue Kaprizov, please let us know. We would both like to donate, <laughs> send the rescue mission, and go get him. Please. <laughs> so with that, let's uh, let's keep going on. Let's uh, take a quick look at free agency and and how what could play out there. So personally, Josh, I don't know how you feel, but looking at this whole free agency, the free agent pool. To me, it is not the most exciting free agent class we've seen. You know, I 
went on the NHL.com and got their power ranking in the top 10s. And I just kind of read it, shook my head, didn't really do anything for me. But I do think it is important to look at the list. And so when announcements are made or we hear these names pop up in the news as free agency, open, as free agency opens, we kind of know what's what's going on and who these players are. But I'm wondering, did the list do anything for you? Did it drive any excitement when you saw it? Not really. I mean, I think Goudreau is obviously, he had a really great year last year. And given his age, yep. he's a little bit intriguing. But to me, the general takeaway is a lot of these guys are good to great players in their own right who have had good careers, but are really at the tail end of yep. their careers. And so the question is going to be with all of them, you know, they're going to be, I think because of that, risky signings in some cases, and just because you'll have to wonder what do they have left in the tank. Yeah, definitely. And Goudreau is definitely your number one available just from an offensive production standpoint. You know, he had 40 goals, 115 points. Middle, or he's right at that you know prime of his career usually when you hit 28 years old. So that's that's the interesting one. I'm, I'm curious to see where he ends up. Um, the number two on the list was Philippe Forsberg. Now, obviously, he re-signed with Nashville, but a little bit about looking at his value. His 2013 Young Guns Raw sold for about $31 on July 12th. Towards the middle of June, this card was actually selling in the $20 range, so he's seen about a 50% increase over the past month. I'm not sure it's what that's attributable to. Maybe that he's going to keep playing, or I, I don't know. Maybe that Nashville resigned him. With a yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just a great Predators fit. fans. Yeah, sorry. Maybe it's just Predators fans that are just excited that they've locked him up for, it was like eight years, right? Or a long-term deal. And that he's going to be around. And so, hey, now's a good time to invest in that card, knowing that he's going to be a Predator for really the most significant years of his career. For sure. And then three and four to me, it's it's Kadri and Latang. So Kadri with the Avalanche and Latang with the Penguins. Again, these are little older players. Actually, Latang resigned with the Penguins. I forgot about that. Again, these these two don't do anything for me from an excitement standpoint. I don't know, Josh. Do you, are you excited about them? I don't think from a hobby perspective, there's much yeah. where I think from a hockey perspective, if they go to the right team and can be that one last piece that puts that that team kind of over the proverbial top, then that could be interesting. But at this point in their careers. I just don't know what they're going to do to really make that much of a significant impact hobby-wise. Uh, the next one on my list that, you know, he's number five on the power list, but he's a little intriguing just from who he who he is, is Avegni Malkin from the Penguins. Now, again, he is getting older. He's on the tail end of his career, 35 years old. I am I'm interested to see where he goes. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things, too. It maybe depends where he goes if it has any hobby effect. But he's one of those players, you know, I've watched for a long time. He's on the downside of his career. And I hope he ends up at a good, at a good place because I've really enjoyed watching him play. Yeah, I feel like a broken record, Troy, because I think that if he goes to one of the biggest markets, people would be pretty excited about that. Montreal or the Rangers or something like that or Toronto. It would be weird if the Blackhawks signed him at this point. And, and he is leaving a big market in the Penguins. <laughs> oh. But if he signs with Nashville, I, I just don't know. You know, it just might be more seen as a money grab on the tail end of his career or something like that. And the last player, I know, Josh, you have 
probably a better opinion on him than than I do is Valerie Nishkin. I knew I'd mess it up. Nishkin. Nishkin again. Nishkin. I can't. I, my tongue doesn't work that way uh, with the Valerie Nishkin. So I forgot. <laughs> so I'd let you. I figured I'd let you talk a little bit about him. Yeah, I don't know. This one was interesting to me primarily because of his the team he plays for, his age. He's only twenty seven. He should be entering the prime of his career. He had a respectable 52-point season last year. Obviously, the Avs won the Cup. He had a pretty good playoffs, so that helps. I guess maybe gave me the most interest is his pricing was honestly lower than I had expected. So when I looked up this morning his 2013 Future Watch Auto, which he was in the Dallas sweater at the time, it was it sold today for in the $40 range, which was up from this previous sale right on the 4th of July of 27. So a pretty healthy 48% bump after re-signing. And this is a case, and okay, so full disclosure, I did buy a Future Watch Auto today. I bought it for 35 bucks, And my thought process was if he can take the next step and entering the prime of his careers and maybe get up into the 70, 80 point range, like kind of like all a, a Kevin Fiala last year, it may be too big of a jump to expect that this could be a card that I flip come November, December, January next year for a decent little, I mean, I don't think it's going to explode into the, you know, but if I could get a hundred, $120 for it, if he plays real well, it was probably worth the gamble knowing that at $35, if he regresses or plateaus and the team doesn't perform well, I it's not that big of a risk. Yeah, definitely. Good good points on that. So that kind of, unless you have anything else, Josh, any other free agents, either ones that re-signed or ones that are still on the market, anyone else do anything for you? No, the only other one that I might mention is uh, Andreas Palat from the Lightning. And to me, I don't know, I can't really make up my, I just don't think it, this is, you know, I'm thinking more from the hobby perspective. He seems like a guy that is, shows up in the playoffs and performs real well and not, I don't know if the, how much regular season interest in collecting him. There is, he's a little bit older at 31, but still probably at the tail end of his prime. So I think maybe in the perfect situation, that might be one to look at, but yeah, I don't know. And I, and I honestly haven't looked into whether or not Tampa's intent on resigning him or not. All right, Troy, that was a really great wrap-up of the draft and free agency and some impactful player news. Uh, at this point in the show, we're going to, in a second, play an interview we did, as Troy mentioned, at the in our game plan with Chris McGill, the co-founder of Card Ladder. It was a really amazing interview. We think you're going to like it. He uh, had some great insight into the overall sports card market. Obviously, it's really uncertain times. And so we thought he was an important person to have on. And so we're going to go ahead and roll that interview now. All right. We are super excited to be joined by Chris McGill from Card Ladder. You guys have heard us talk about Card Ladder in just about every episode. And we're definitely going to give Chris an opportunity at the end of our conversation to give you guys a little bit better overview of what Card Ladder is. But just from, I guess, a two-second overview, I'll probably butcher it, Chris, but it's a way to store and track your collection. And they have great data on as far as like values go, look at sales for comps and a whole bunch of other things. But like I said, Chris will do a great job of explaining what Card Ladder does. But hey, Chris, 
Great to meet you and great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Congrats on the success of the podcast so far. And I'm a, I'm a new follower of the uh, hockey underscore cards underscore gong show Instagram accounts, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So thanks a lot for having me. Okay, Chris, so I got a first question for you. Do you do you know the significance of the term gong show from a hockey I, perspective? You know, I know it has a meaning in context of hockey, uh, <laughs> but that's it. I don't, I don't know <laughs> beyond that. Okay, so a gong show, it can be used a couple ways. Uh, the first is a hockey game that gets out of hand. So if you've ever watched hockey, and a lot of times, like let's say it's a 7-1 to one score, it might get a little feisty in the third period they'll refer to that as a gong show or other times like an after party like when players would go out to a bar after a game or something like that so we picked the name gong show because we try not to take ourselves too seriously and give us rope to not be perfect but i hear that uh as far as the after game gong show goes no other professional athletes party quite as hard as the hockey players very true. Very true. So like I mentioned, we're excited to have you on and really excited to talk about the hockey market in general. Uh, we'll start hopefully, or I guess at the big picture, I'm sure this is a question that you've been asked a lot over the last month or so, especially given a lot of the uncertain economic and geopolitical times that we're in. But what are your thoughts on the overall state and near future of the sports card market? Yeah, uh, great question. And the, the way I think about this is I've always felt that the success of the hobby and card collecting is predicated not on how well prices are doing in a short-term time horizon, but instead on whether or not people are enjoying the experience. And so I think there mm-hmm. was a there was a problem over the last 2 years where there was people who were who were being magnetized to the hobby who were deriving their enjoyments of the hobby primarily from being able to make money, being able to buy, grade raw cards, sell them, flip stuff, make smart investments that paid off in the short term. And there were people who like they really got their in, their their enjoyment of the hobby was centered on that experience, and so you know over the last yep. year there have been some risers, some fallers, but in the aggregate things have been pretty flat. And you know I think on average people who have been investing and in flipping over the last year have probably had mixed results, which is which is different from the 2020 and early part of 2021 experience. And so I think some people have have left the hobby. Quite frankly, in the recent okay. past, people who they're, they 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 stopped enjoying it so much. But I think m- many more people who came into the hobby maybe over the last few years, maybe over the last five or six years, like myself, I came back to collecting in the summer of 2016. Those of us who were fortunate enough to be taught how to enjoy the hobby from the perspective of everything that it that it offers from the perspective of friendships and community from the perspective of all the interesting analytical things you can do by studying the market which is I think you guys like that stuff I really like to do that stuff too from the perspective of of increasing the way we enjoy and watch and consume sports all, and, and many more things the, the 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 thrill of getting a notification you have a saved search on eBay for a card you've been looking for the thrill of the hunt 
the, the thrill yeah. of finding deals, the the joy of going to different shows, the fun of watching monster cards end at auction with the big auction houses, all those fun experiential parts of the hobby. Like the, those of us who were taught to learn and love the hobby from that point of view, we're we're loving it right now. We're we're flourishing right now. Certain cards that maybe we we thought we would never be able to get if if price appreciation continued at the trajectory that was on over the last year to two years, now we suddenly they feel within our grasp. We feel like new opportunities are opening up that we that we didn't know we would have. So that that's my take on the state of the hobby right now is that there, there's a there's a segment of this hobby that that is still learning to love and enjoy the hobby the way that that others were fortunate enough to have been taught to love and learn it and and learn about it and love it and that and that's what happens in a mixed market so yeah. let, let me pause there but that that's kind of where that that like if that that's how i feel about the hobby right now is is i feel like there's there's just a lot of learning and growing happening in this space right now i really appreciate that sentiment and agree with it wholeheartedly we always tell people collect what you love. If it does appreciate over time, it becomes an asset. That's great. Like I think everything in life, if you approach uh, your sports car collecting or hockey car collecting in our case with a balanced approach, right? And you have a little bit of fan in you and just appreciation for cards or nostalgia to your youth, but also are interested from a market perspective, a little bit in values, and you want to make smart financial decisions and collect things that do have the chance to appreciate over time, that that's probably the healthiest approach to collecting. And I think, like you said, there's probably a lot of people that throughout the pandemic saw sports cards as a get-rich-quick scheme and purely you know, got in to go snatch products at retail and flip them for ridiculous prices and so on and so forth. And maybe they've had a little bit of more stressful experience over the past year. But that being said, I do have a specific market question that I think I know the answer to, but I want to hear from your perspective. I think all that being said, we can, is it safe to assume though that the market's not crashing? Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, I guess it kind of also depends upon how we would define crash <laughs> not to get too pedantic sure. but uh, because and, and it, it's just funny too because it just went over pretty quietly but the the big uh rise and fall uh that that happened in the iconic super obvious investor grade cards like your 90 like your 86 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie in a PSA 9 or a PSA 10 or to keep this hockey-related, the OPG Gretzky 79 in high grade. Those cards um, had a, a magnificent rise in price in the first second quarter yeah. of 2021, and then quickly corrected in the second and third quarters of 2021, and have been stable ever since. They've been stable mm-hmm. even as cryptocurrency markets have undergone... Well, I think it's fair to use the word crash when Bitcoin is down 70% from its peak price. Same thing goes for the other lesser known altcoins. Yeah. Uh, other financial markets have uh, taken 15, 20% hits uh, over the last year or so. Uh, meanwhile, the consumer price index is indicating that inflation is happening at like an 8 to 9% rate year over year. <laughs> so like lots of 
negative things happening in financial markets, you might say. And uh, over that time, cards have been uh, relatively flat. Now, it's it's difficult to measure, right? Because like, unlike uh, investing in stocks and bonds, where diversification is is uh, an approach that's deployed by many account managers and and uh, self guided investors. In cards, we don't really operate that way. We have we have niches. So like, I, I have a few niches yeah. as a collector. You guys obviously are within the hockey category and then probably have specific players and or specific eras and or specific grades and conditions that you like to focus on. And so it's it's really hard to say that there's like uh, there's a way to average or approximate the performance of sports cards because you just there's so many different segments, so many different silos. There really is no average experience. Everyone's exposure is is really different. And like I'm not here as a collector saying, well, I need 10% allocation to hockey and 8% to baseball and 3% to soccer. No, I'm collecting the very best cards of the of my favorite players that I can get my hands yeah. on. That's the approach. So it's it's kind of hard to generalize about the hobby, but like using like the card letter 50 index, there there was a a big rise and fall in in Q1 and Q2 of 2021 and ever since there's been relative stability. Uh, with with some yeah. minor fluctuations here and there, so certainly there hasn't been any crash in my estimation over the last year or so. Looking at the CL fifty, but but there certainly was <laughs> in in Q one and Q two. Just kind of noticing how that index lost that index like tripled from the winter of twenty twenty to yeah. the spring of twenty twenty one. Then it lost half its value, and then it's been and then it's been really steady. So. Yeah, yep. it, it's a mm-hmm. it's it's weird, man. We're we're in a very interesting and, and odd market right now. Well, how, how I've kind of looked at it is, in the spring of twenty twenty one, everything yep. went up, right? I mean, there it was sports cards were gold, or even or trading card games, right? And now it seems like to me that it's more pockets that you have to find. That if you're looking at the hobby from an investment perspective, you can't just buy any old card and assume it's going to go up anymore. You have to do more research. And that's where a tool like Card Ladder, and I know we'll get into it, has been really helpful. And you mentioned the Card Ladder 50 index. So for people that don't know, is Card Ladder has a bunch of different indexes. The Card Ladder 50, you could describe better than me, but to me, it's more like the S&P 500 or tracks the biggest most known, most valuable sports cards and from multiple sports and gauges their value over time. And that's one way to look at the market versus breaking it down between hockey or basketball or football or F1 racing or something like that. Is that a good way yeah, to put it? Yeah, definitely. And like, so of the 50 cards, we, uh, we tried to choose cards that are, that have large market caps and cards that you know are, are are obvious and iconic, and that have the best chance of being recognized by the most people. So, as, as far as like hockey is concerned, some of the hockey cards represented are like the 1979 Opeechi Gretzky in a grade of PSA eight. When we choose a grade like a PSA eight, so that we're getting pretty regular data points, you know that the, the population of that card is 773. Yeah. We have uh, I believe we have Ovechkin's Young Guns in a PSA ten. We have Crosby's Young Guns and a PSA 10. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we don't have any, like, sick patch autos from the cup <laughs> or anything like that, yeah. right? Like, we, you know, and, and, like, and that, and if we compose an index of cards like that, that index would, 
would be doing quite well <laughs> because the, the, mm -hmm. certain the mm -hmm. high end and or the most rare and desirable cards consistently outpace the higher population, you sure. know, more iconic, but also more readily available type of cards. Like we have like the 66 tops Bobby Orr and a PSA six. This is, this is the yeah. type of stuff that we threw in there with the, as, as Josh pointed out, like with the purpose of trying to, uh, trying to capture something that can hopefully come close to approximating price appreciation of the sports card industry at large. Yeah. And I suppose if you comprised your top 50 index out of the top 50 greatest sports cards, an issue would, the obvious issue would be of those 50 cards, you may have four sales yes. in a year. And so it'd be really hard to gauge how the value of that marketplace is moved or that yeah, segment of the market. I, I don't, is. I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but like, Something worth pointing out with the card letter indexes is that uh, we, we take certain precautions to make sure that the indexes don't uh, don't get too distorted by those outlier, super rare, super high-end cards. So the, one of the ways we do that is like we have total market indexes. So like we have a hockey category total market index. and But within the offering of hockey cards that are in card ladder that comprise that total market index. We have like sick cup RPAs from some of the all time great players, yeah. but most of those will not show up in card ladders, hockey index, because one of the requirements for a card to qualify for inclusion in the index is that it must have two sales in the last year and it must have one sale in the last six months. So oh, okay. outlier cards that set crazy prices when they come to market once every three years, those are not even those are, those won't show up in a card letter index. And so, in, in depending upon how representative you think cards like that are of the state of a particular market, you might feel that the card letter index understates how the uh, how that category as a whole is doing. And on the other hand, if you feel like what what the true snapshot of a market is is cards that transact frequently and that have high populations and that are more accessible to people on lower budgets, then, then you'll probably feel like the card lighter indexes are, are telling the story right now. There's no way to please yeah. everybody. Well, I, I think from a tracking the market value, hockey is actually set up pretty nicely in that the two most important cards for any player are their young guns, which is their, Rookie card, right, which would be equivalent to like a silver prism in basketball or football. And it's not, it's, I think the pack odds are generally one out of four packs, and there's typically 50 rookies in a series. So it's not a common base card, but it's fairly common as well. It's definitely not short print. And so you get, you know, again, this is the generally accepted main rookie card of a player. And so you get a lot of volume around that. And then the other more valuable card would be the Future Watch Auto. And because that's numbered to $9.99, again, I think we see more common sales of that. So with how your platform works, it's actually really nice from a hockey perspective because you have those two very important cards for every player that uh, can be tracked and have enough data to make the output yeah, meaningful. I, I, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I don't know quite how it's been working in hockey. I think the young guns have been doing pretty well 
from what I see sales coming in every night. But I can tell you that in basketball and in football, the Prism Silver and the Prism Base have have taken a beating over the last year or so. And it's not because those cards are any less cool than they were before. It's just because they were almost singularly treated as the as the as the investment card of choice for for a given player. And then over time I think it became apparent that there were other really cool alternatives that were lower population, maybe that had better eye appeal or better aesthetics and just conveyed more prestige on the collector who acquired them. I think that's why, mm-hmm. you know, silvers and base continue to kind of fall out of favor and, and hopefully reach a stability or a, a point of equilibrium where they're, they're properly valued in the eyes of market participants relative to some of the other rare yeah. prism color stuff. So uh, obviously as we've kind of tracked the, your different market breakdowns, it's been impossible to not notice that over the last month and a half, a hockey card market has <laughs> been one of the bright spots yeah, where we've seen basketball down, you know, six, maybe 7% football at a similar stage. I think baseball's done a little bit better than that. But again, in comparing hockey to the major sports, it's been one of the few yeah. in the green or positive. Do you have any explanation for that or any insight as to why hockey is performing so well? Yeah, right you know, I can speculate about it. I, I don't want to create the impression that uh, I've got all the answers or even the answer. But some sure. of the things that I, that I think about here are, number one, uh, hockey has some very cool cards and that might seem like really stupid and obvious, but like upper deck manufactures hockey cards and controls the license and upper deck is one of the most beloved manufacturers and brands in the trading card industry. And it has been for a long time. And I think the consistent, the consistency and the quality of the product and the, the loyalty that, the NHL and upper deck have to each other just reflects really well on the hockey category. And I think even people I've seen this happen with uh, collectors who I know maybe from like Michael Jordan collecting or something like that. I've seen these guys venture into collecting hockey stuff. And some of them really got into the Fleer retro PMGs and some of them really got into the cup and, and some of the sick patch autograph stuff that comes out of that product. And, you know, then there's a segment of people who just, uh, who, who just as, you know, I can speak to this myself as a collector, um, taking a chance on collecting certain players or like, I, I, I became a, a full blown fan of the modern NBA because I, because Christina, who's, uh, who works with me on card ladder, is my fiance and a fellow collector uh, because she and I just just decided in the year 2018 that we that we wanted to start messing around with modern basketball products and we did and then we start we took an interest in the key rookies and all of a sudden now got NBA league pass and I'm watching hundreds of games a year and I'm just totally obsessed with this like the hobby recruited me into being a huge fan of the modern iteration of basketball 
And I think there's something desirable and fun about hockey culture, about hockey fandom, about the, the, there's a fascination with the sport itself. It kind of feels like the sport might be a little underrated, might be a little underrepresented in North American culture. And I, I think people like that. I think I know some subset of people have taken a chance on hockey cards and all of a sudden now they're full-blown hockey viewers and supporters of the sport. So I think there's a perfect storm of a, of a lot of those types of factors. Totally agree with you. And I want to echo your point on the coolness of the cards and especially going to cup patches. I think one of the unique aspects of hockey is their jerseys have more going on. I don't know if that's the best way to say, but if you look at like a yeah. Chicago, like a Blackhawks yeah. player, there could be six or seven colors in one patch. Where like an NBA jersey tends to be a little bit yep. more plain, and uh, especially if it's a patch of the name or number, where you you know maybe two three colors. And so I think that's one way hockey stands out. And another aspect that we think is really important for the growth of the sport, as we've talked with, uh, and this is, I guess, maybe us selling you on hockey a little bit, maybe you'll start collecting more, is a huge thing happened this year in the sport in that it's the first year in about 15 now where we hockey was put back yeah. on a national TV schedule. So a year ago, to watch a hockey game, you had to have a cable subscription, number one, which hardly anybody has, and they had it buried on like the NBC College <laughs> Outdoor Hunting Channel. <laughs> And that just doesn't do a lot to expose the game, especially to young people that might be interested in learning the players and the teams and wanting to and yep. wanting to collect. But now, by putting the games on ESPN and TNT, they've uh, had a studio crew on the TNT side. Well, on both, but especially on TNT, they're trying to mimic a little bit what they do with inside the NBA. And I think that just getting the exposure to the game of the game will help be a catalyst for growth for the sport. Now they need to figure out how to market their players a little bit better. That's something hockey has never done. Well, yeah, hockey has the, been the personalities, the, the personality side, you know, take some lessons maybe from the NBA in that regard. But uh, we, we really feel strongly that there's a lot of growth opportunity in, in the sport. And uh, obviously it's been exciting for us to see that, Hockey's performing yeah, well. well over the it, last uh, and let me. Uh, that that's excellent. I have noticed that TNT has has definitely been putting a spotlight on hockey. You know what else hockey has that I think makes it appealing to is there's a a pretty clear cut goat um, in the great one, and he's got an iconic yeah. status, and he's sort of become, in the best way possible, a myth, a legend. Uh, baseball, you know, has Babe Ruth. Basketball has Michael Jordan. Hockey has Wayne Gretzky. And Gretzky's dominance as a hockey athlete, I'm I'm in no way qualified to analyze it, but I've noticed and observed people who are qualified make the observation that he might be, relative to his sport, the goat of goats <laughs> or, or close to it. So that's something very appealing about hockey is that for somebody who wants to jump in and collect – the, the best player of all time, you can do it and it's not too tricky. You know, you don't have to get too far into the weeds and too far yep. into de to debates to sort that out. And then, and then the second piece of this is that you have active players, whether it's Ovechkin 
or up and coming younger guys uh, like McJesus and now Kale McCarr, who these guys are verging on doing historic things. And that's putting a spotlight back onto Gretzky. And it's, and it's making him relevant all over again because any time a young player does something great, it, it, it demands comparison to the measuring stick, which is, you know, which is the Gretzky. So I think that's, that's a really interesting timeline in the history of hockey right now. Have you s- seen the Kale oh, McCarr prices over the last six <laughs> yeah, months? Yes, I have. He's doing, you know, his mark is doing really well. Well, and what's really fascinating, getting a little inside weeds for a second on hockey about Kale McCarr is, so maybe a comparison I would give you is he's a defenseman. And traditionally, defensemen in the hop- hobby are valued like a running back. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's even Troy. I don't know if you're a defensive like football player. They just haven't had a lot of value. Yeah. Other other than Bobby Orr, who was considered the greatest, def, you know, if you have Gretzky is obviously the goat of hockey, but from positionally, people would look at Bobby Orr and primarily because he was very much an offensive defenseman. And the emergence of, and that's what's really, I think, led to the emergence of Kale McCarr's values is he's has a, I don't want to get too deep into the comparison here, but, you know, he's a very similarly strong offensive game and very exciting game to watch. So that is potentially opening up a, a window in hockey where you have other now more offensive defensemen like an Adam Fox from the New York Rangers or a couple of other guys that, point being, a year and a half ago, there wasn't a lot of money being put into NHL defensemen from a collecting value. And now he's kind of blown those wow. doors wide open. Yeah. So it's, it's, so that's interesting, too, because um, like the, the market is fluid and everything yes. that was true a year ago might not be true today in terms of collector preferences and priorities. And I, I see that across a number of sports. Well, that's really amazing insight into the market. Uh, before we do let you go, we wanted to give you a couple minutes to explain. I'm not sure how many people within the hockey collecting community were aware of Card Ladder. I think you guys are out there enough where people are becoming more and more aware of you every day. But just in case anyone uh, wasn't familiar with your platform and what you're doing, we wanted to give you the chance to give yeah, the I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. So for hockey collectors in particular um there's there's a there's a couple of different ways to experience card ladder one way for sure is um you know just kind of using the indexes to get a snapshot of big big picture how is hockey doing compared to other categories and you know that 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 can be useful just kind of to 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 contextualize things uh and and the indexes are available for free. Um, just via cardletter.com, you can check out all the indexes on a daily basis and see how they're doing. The the place where I think hockey collectors are going to be getting a, a lot of value out of card letters, the, the sales history feature. So that feature in particular has over 40 million sales that are aggregated across, I think, 14 or 15 different marketplaces. So and it and it's and it's all time. Uh, so in the case of sales coming from heritage auctions or from PWCC or from Golden or from eBay or from My Slabs, you know it's going back as as far as we possibly could go. So there's uh, there's you're going to find sales going back to in some cases 2003. If if obviously if the card was having sales happening wow. back then. 
And for really rare, obscure cards, that can be helpful. Uh, that can be really helpful if you're if you're trying to track down something, sure. and you know it hasn't sold in the last three years. I I don't know if you'd be able to find that data point in many places outside of uh, card letter sales history feature. Uh, so so that the sales history feature can be really neat, and it, every day it dumps somewhere between sixty thousand and a hundred thousand new sales in. So from eBay, from wow. uh, marketplaces, when they, like last night, PWCC just had their weekly. So all those sales come in. So we we grab a ton of data points and just kind of throw them into there. And if come when, when it comes to eBay sales, you know, we grab the best offer accepted at the accurate price, not the list price. Okay. So the sales history feature is a really useful tool, but it's imperfect, right? It's there's there's no vetting going on. You know, if somebody shids up i mean uh shills up shill bids up an auction and it gets dumped into there it's in there until somebody brings it to our attention it's going to be in there so that's just a word of caution when using that database is just know that it's just raw data it's just a pile of tens of millions of raw sales but you know that yeah the other problem we found when searching card history and i have no idea why eBay doesn't force a like have a standard protocol for how you <laughs> enter a card in. Like like one of the in hockey, uh, you know, one of the iconic brands yep. that Upper Deck owns is OPG. There's technically it's O dash P E E dash C H E E, but people will list it as OPC or without the dashes, and so. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that that makes it a little more difficult. Oh, yeah. Difficult yep. on that is definitely frustrating. So, but. But, but the sales history, uh, the search bar, it uh, uses Boolean search terms the same way that eBay does. Oh. So if you wanted to create a Boolean search query that aggressively seeks out all those different variations of Opeachy, all you do is just open parentheses, put uh, OPC, comma, O dash P dash Chi comma O P Chi with no spaces and then end the parentheses and it will conduct a search against each of those search terms. So that, that hopefully makes life a little bit easier, (laughs) but yeah, I feel your pain and that's that, yeah, that, that can definitely be an issue. And then the the place where I think hockey collectors at this time are not going to get as much value out of card lighter, but they will in the future as we continue to expand our hockey database uh, is the ladder itself, which is too bad because that's a really one of the one of the cooler features that we have. But the ladder right now has around thirty thousand unique card profiles, and once a card gets a profile, you know that means a researcher takes over uh, monitoring all future sales of this card, vetting them, looking for signs of shill bidding so on wow. and so forth. And so like any card that's in an index of ours, it belongs to a researcher. That researcher is monitoring new sales, that card every day. And the card profiles are neat. You know, they show a nice high quality scan of the card in question. So like if you're looking for cards, researching yeah. cards, you can take a, take a good look at it. You get links to maybe cardboard connection or trading card database. If, if the card is in PSA, you get a link to his population report. But even if it's not, you get the population number, uh, so you can know what the pop is of each of those cards. Like, so there's a lot of cool stuff that have that goes along with the card being in the ladder database itself. And we're working on growing that database every day. And being now a sister company to PSA and being part of Collectors Holdings, we're being 
given resources to continue to expand our database. And like our focus in the most recent past has been we we've trained and and brought in two new researchers who focus on TCG, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, stuff like that. There's a lot of collectors out there who are wanting and and asking to see more of that. But we know there's a lot of hockey collectors out there too who want to see more from us. So, you know, I invite your audience uh, to, to please, you know, come check out cardladder.com. There's a lot of free features. And then if you want to get behind the paywall and check out the sales history, use the collection tracking software, you get the full suite of uh, features, then, hey, we'd love to have you. And it's the, the, the cost of the service is 15 bucks a month or 150 a year. But no matter how, you know, somebody gets value out of the service, I mean, makes me really proud uh, to, to, to know that it's, it's helping people enjoy their, their hobby a little bit more. I think that's a great overview. And as we, Troy and I have said before, and we reference all the time, we do think it's a great service. We do use it just about every day and think that you have a real unique perspective on the overall sports card marketplace. And for that reason, we were uh, really thrilled and, and hey, thanks for having me guys. I'd I'd love to come back anytime. And, uh, keep going. I just I'd love to see the momentum and the and the the content that you guys have been cranking out here. You guys are you guys are like the Kale McCarr market here in podcast world. Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> well thank that's you. a great way to end. You know, well whenever I need a whenever I'm having a bad day, I'm just gonna hit you up to give me a compliment because that's about as good as it gets. Well thank you, Chris, so much. And Thanks, uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, that was our interview with Chris McGill from Card Ladder. Hope you all enjoyed it and found it informative. And much thanks to you, Chris, again, for taking the time to join us. But from here, we wanted to roll into a little bit of hobby news. There isn't much other than a big piece of news that we're a couple weeks away from The National, the premier sports trading card show and expo here in the United States. Unfortunately, we won't be making it this year to there or to the national uh, responsibilities, careers, life, kids have sort of gotten in the way there. But we do hopefully plan to make it to the Expo in Toronto in November. And so we're working towards that and looking forward to the opportunity to meet a lot of you guys there. I did want to bring it up, though, Troy, because I am curious, given how well the hockey card market is currently performing, I think it's going to be really fascinating to get feedback on just pricing and how many tables or vendors are selling hockey at the national. But again, what prices are going for? Is it strong? Is it weak? I'll just be really curious. I guess I've got my fingers crossed that there will be a little bit more interest this year in hockey at the national. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. The interest is what I would be really curious to hear from our listeners that go to the show. Are they seeing a lot of hockey in you know tables or vendors? Do they have a case or a cabinet with hockey? That would that would be really intriguing to me because Josh and I have been to card shows locally around the Minneapolis area, and I for being in the state of hockey, at times it feels like hockey just isn't that big at these shows. So I'm curious now. You get the national, the biggest one in the United States. Or probably the biggest one. I don't know if it's in the world for sports cards and collectibles. How's the hockey, you know, environment there? That would be really, really curious to hear from listeners that go to the show what they see. Yeah. So if anyone goes, 
And, you know, please give us your feedback. Probably the best way to do that would be via Instagram at hockey underscore cards underscore gong show is our account. Uh, Just go ahead and message us. And we do want to hear from everyone, but I'm really fascinated to hear from people that have been there multiple years and for a little bit of a compare and contrast to is there any sort of anecdotal even feedback that you can kind of perceive growth in the hockey card market, at least as represented at the national. So I just wanted to to bring that up. The other kind of note that I think is important to make hobby-wise around the national is, you know, don't freak out if you're a seller and sales start to drop a little bit over the next couple of weeks. I think traditionally buyers sort of stockpile their war chest a little bit for the national. And it's very common to see a a little bit of decrease in the volume of sales leading up to it. Would you agree with that? Definitely. And I'm actually curious just watching people I know or some of the stuff I have on sale on eBay and, and see if there is kind of a real slow trend that or it's slowing down, which I'm assuming is going to happen from evidence in the past. So yeah, definitely don't freak out if you have stuff, you're a seller, it's not selling like you think it should be. You know, the national is a huge thing and a lot of people are going to be there. Okay, uh, let's roll into new releases quick. There isn't a ton going on this week from a new release perspective. Uh, Series 2 retail tin boxes do release today, as in July 13, if the day this episode releases. It's not a huge deal. There is one exclusive to the tin, and that is the OPG Glossy Rookies, much like Series 1. So if that is a chase of yours, that might be a good reason for you to purchase the tin. But like I said, I don't think it's a huge deal. You do get one extra pack that has the three glossy cards. Occasionally, there'll be a parallel to one of the glossies as well. So a little bit more of of a chase there. But since really that's the only thing going on, thought I would mention it. The other thing I wanted to talk about, a little more big picture in new releases, is both Troy and I have observed a ton of confusion and a rightful confusion over what's next as far as new releases go. If you look at the release calendars on whether you like to use like David Adams or Steel City or Blowout, what you'll what you'll see right now is there's really nothing in the next week or two. And you'll either see a log pile of products like Black Diamond and Allure and OPG Platinum and Clearcut and Artifacts that are either marked as July 27 or July to be determined. Now I think I can fairly confidently say, you know, first of all, I don't have direct firsthand information, but Upper Deck's not releasing five products on July 27th. Uh, We have had a little bit of communication with Upper Deck. We're trying to get them on a subsequent show. They didn't share any specific information with us, but I did get the sense from them that, uh, you know, it is a fluid situation. They're trying to work through their release issues. And so, I think the important takeaway is I just don't believe, and this is my perspective, and I'll be curious to see if you agree with me or not, Troy, that we're not going to have five or six products released uh, a couple of weeks from now uh, on the 27th. I agree 100%. Just look, I mean, look how companies release products. You usually don't just dump them all, especially in a card market or a sports card market. Look at all the, you know, Upper Deck's actually done a good job with kind of spacing out, you know, Series 1, Series 2, and then we got SP Authentic, and look at all the hype. Those new products come out, and it's all people are talking about, all you see being break breaked on, t- on a whatever, whatnot, or all the apps, you know, these people are breaking on. 
but there's no way they're just going to dump five new products into the market. I, I can't see that happening. That would be just, they would, that would flood the market and just create a lot of confusion. So anyone that's like us and is really interested in wants to be in the know as to when new products are coming out, there is one little tip that I can give you and that what I've noticed is right with it, like a week or four or five days before a product goes out is you, Upper Deck will typically release the checklist. So if you're buying a pre-sale product or you're looking at a pre-sale and it says July 27th and go and you search and there's no checklist pu- checklist published, I would put that in, you know, very suspect category and, and, and not have a lot of confidence in the date. If there is, a, so let's say hypothetically, this is not the case, but I just want to make an example. Let's say a lure on David Adams and Blowout said July 18th, so six or five or six days from now. And we had Beckett publishing the checklist or trading card database or cardboard connection had published the checklist today. Then you can almost take it to the bank that that product would release within a day or two of when the, uh, the online retailers are saying that it's going to be released. I don't know. Have you noticed that too, Troy? Yeah, for sure. It, it seems like the one telltale sign we've found that can kind of give a hint of when something's coming out because... Again, you know, those placeholder dates and not getting, um, you know, there's not a list on Upper Deck's website or anything saying when, when stuff is being released. So it seems like the checklist being released is the key tip off right now on when a product is coming out. Yeah, I don't know. And this is like me totally putting on a speculation hat. Again, zero firsthand knowledge. So I want to be very clear. My gut is telling me, Troy, that it's going to be a lure. And I felt like that for a couple of weeks at that it just seems to make the most sense to me for Allure to come out next, right? Where you would balance having one of your mid to high end products and SP Authentic. And I don't, I wouldn't see you rolling into Black Diamond as an example or clear cut mm-hmm. right after. It seems like that the logical sort of balance to that would be to come out with the Lure, which I would think then Platinum would, OPG Platinum would then fall into August. But that's just me maybe making things up. No, that's it's a good argument. I I don't have anything against that. I just I want to know when the cup's coming out. If the cup's coming out, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so again, you know, we're going to keep talking about this because we've, like I've said, we've noticed a ton of confusion, and it's rightful confusion. The you know, there's people that are convinced that five products are coming out on the 27th, and that I guess if if there's one thing that I personally feel strongly about is that I just don't see that happening. So, like I said, we check multiple times a day, and you guys will be the first to know via the podcast here or via Instagram or any of our other socials. Once we find out, we'll be sure to communicate to you what the plan from Upper Deck is. All right. We've rolled through a ton of information today, but we can't end the show without going through some personal pickups. So, Troy, I'm going to hand the conch to you to roll through your pickups for the week. Definitely. So, my first pickup was a 2020-21 SP Authentic. Surprise, surprise, Pekka Rene. It's the 2000-2001 Retro Autograph card, serial numbered out of 199. It's a really cool picture. It's like kind of from a far camera angle. You can tell the camera is far away, but it's kind of zoomed in. He's in a really nice pose. Um, it's got an auto on it. It looked. It, I thought it looked really, really cool. So bought that, and beside, that was the only actual card... You know, single card I bought. I did participate in a couple SP Authentic, Stature, 
Upper Deck Series 2 hobby box breaks that were going on just to put some money in that and just have some fun hanging out, talking about cards and, and watching people rip boxes. So I didn't get anything huge. I did get like a fluorescence and some other cool inserts, but nothing really big. Okay. Yeah, I had a little bit bigger week. Uh, I made a, a couple of pickups and two of them really fall under a theme that I've been thinking about a little bit more from an investment perspective. And I think that you, no one or everyone would agree that Series 2 has been a pretty big success, uh, at least relatively. Mm-hmm. There's been a ton of interest. There's a ton of great cards. People seem to be happier with the quality of the cards. And you have Cider and Raymond and Mercer and McCavish and uh, I think a little bit better inserts, no Hundo P. <laughs> Yeah, than than series yeah. one, and so it got me thinking a little bit. With all the excitement and interest in series two, is the shine faded a little bit on some of the series one rookies who have haven't played in a while? Again, weren't in series two and are not sort of the flavor of the day. And I feel like I'm Troy because I, I kind of honed in on a couple goalies. I, I did get a, a Spencer Knight Young Guns and a Swayman. Young Guns, uh, I think I got pretty good deals on them. Both were under $20. Uh, and then going back to last year, I, I did also pick up a French variation of Ilya Sorokin, which I think I got for $22. So I thought, uh, and really I credit you for that, Troy, in, in some of what I've learned from you and uh, the research you've done and some of the comparisons that you did between Shesterkin and Sorokin and Swayman and your belief that Sorokin really has what it takes to be a top goalie in the league. And so I thought those were uh, pretty good deals on the ripping and breaking side. I I did open a series two mega and got a Lucas Raymond young guns. So that was kind of cool. And then from a breaking perspective, nothing kind of like you, nothing great. The only interest, well, I don't know. I did get a Nolan foot ultimate collection rookie. It was a napkin patch Jersey, no auto. I think it's numbered, but um, not super exciting, but I think it paid for the break. So there you go. All right, guys. Well, that is our show for the week. Once again, we want to end or start our our wrap up by thanking everyone profusely for the support and engagement on our Instagram channel in particular. The interest in the podcast is growing every week. We continue to be shocked and blown away by how the hockey card as your community has responded to our little show. And so from the bottom of our hearts, you have all of our gratitude and we're going to work really hard to produce better and better content for you guys and hopefully help to um, make your collecting experience a little bit better and and grow the hobby. That's really our goal. Uh, If you're not following us already on Instagram, again, it's hockey underscore gong show or hockey underscore cards underscore gong show. We do have a Facebook group as well. We hope that you'll follow us there. And thank you so much. And we are looking forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week, guys. Mm -hmm.